elect. They are the special possession, the people of God. Uh, they have a living hope, uh, an untarnishable inheritance uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so they are the special people of God. But at the same time, they are exiles. They're foreigners. They're aliens on the earth. And there's a, a material and a spiritual component to that status as being exiles. But, but Peter, at this point in his epistle, has moved on to remind them that as elect exiles, they ought to keep careful watch over their conduct in the world. Uh, their status as elect exiles ought to result in holy living in a pagan world. And so we saw the last time uh, we, we looked at First Peter in verses 11 and 12, he introduces sort of a new section to his epistle, and he exhorts the Christians to whom he writes to abstain from the passions of the flesh, to cast off those old ways, and to keep their conduct, their lifestyle, honorable before the Gentiles. Why? So that when Christ returns, God may be glorified, and perhaps some of these Gentiles might come to faith. Well, now we move on in chapter 2 and also into chapter 3. Peter gives us three specific examples of doing good among the pagans, living a holy lifestyle. And each one of these things, we'll see, hinges on the theme of submission or showing respect to those in authority over us. Um, he addresses citizens. He addresses slaves or servants. He also addresses spouses. Tonight, we're going to look at the first two examples uh, of holiness, of a godly lifestyle. Uh, tonight, these focus on submitting to governing authorities for the Lord's sake. So, let me read this passage here, 1 Peter 2, 13 to the end of the chapter. This is God's holy word. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin, and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 
for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word to our lives. Well, brothers and sisters, when we come to a passage like this one, which commands us to to obey, to submit to, to respect uh, our governing authorities, it's very easy for us to get off track. It's very easy for us to, to launch into debates about when and when not to obey our civil authorities. We read a passage like this, and, and suddenly our talk is very much like the banter at the local cafe uh, during morning coffee, talking about the, the ongoing political problems in our country. Should we respect, should we obey our, our magistrates, our civil leaders? Uh, we read a passage like this, and suddenly we're asking the kind of questions that come up during Thanksgiving dinner, where the uncles go at it over across the table. Uh, questions come up like, well, should we obey uh, unjust laws as well as just? Uh, to whom should we be loyal in government? Just those politicians that we like and respect and have an affinity for, or all of them? And then, of course, someone speaks up and says, isn't all of this just irrelevant anyway? After all, we serve a heavenly king, we serve a heavenly kingdom, and we're just wasting our breath debating about all these things, these, these earthly leaders. But we need to focus. We need to focus because God's Word never comes to us simply to prompt theoretical and political and philosophical debates. God's Word comes to us to transform our hearts, to transform our minds, our lives. God's Word is given to us that we might develop in righteousness. So what does God's Word instruct us to do here? Uh, what's the base principle that we should be following here? Peter writes, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Peter's instruction is rather straightforward. We are called to submit to those whom God has appointed to rule us. We ought to yield our authority, give obedience to the people and the institutions that God has placed in authority over us. And again, as I said, we're prone to say, what? I should submit to and yield authority to those crooks in Washington, D.C.? Their, their hands are so deep in my pockets they can barely stand upright. And they have no concern for the Word of God, after all. Peter says, yes. Be subject to every level of human government, every human institution, whether it be the emperor on top or his minions, the local governors. And what we mustn't fail to grasp is this. Peter is writing this to Christians who are languishing under Roman rule and persecution. You know, we complain about the overreach of the U.S. government, but Roman rule in the first century was far more dictatorial, far more corrupt. Roman power, Roman oppression outweighed anything that we have ever experienced or could ever imagine. 
And yet our Lord called Christians of Asia Minor to submit to every human institution. And we should do the same. We should do the same as God's Word calls us to do. That's the base principle. Before we start asking, what are the exceptions to this? What are the laws that I am able to disobey? We must first understand this base principle. That God's commandment is that we abide by uh, the rules of our governing authorities. But why? Why does God give us this command? Why should we submit to our governments? And the simple answer here in verse 13 is this, for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, not for love of country, not for personal benefit if we're on the right side of this politician or the other, but for the Lord's sake. And so although it is certainly true that our human leaders are fallible, It is certainly true that they disappoint us, they frustrate us, they test our patience. We must respect them because they rule at God's appointment. We must voluntarily submit to them for the sake of God's commandment, God's appointment. And the whole of Scripture tells us this. This is not just the Apostle Peter, of course. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. The Apostle Paul spends about half a chapter dealing with this question of submission to governing authorities. Romans chapter 13, I'll begin reading here at verse 1. He writes, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid." For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Our confessions speak with one voice on this as well. Lord's Day 38, or rather 39. What is God's will for us? We read in the fifth commandment, that I honor, love, and be loyal to my father and mother and all those in authority over me that I obey and submit to them as is proper when they correct and punish me and also that I be patient with their failings. For through them, God chooses to rule us. What's the bottom line? What's the base principle here? Human governors have been ordained by God to promote virtue, to promote righteousness and morality, and to restrain vice and immorality, as he says here, Peter does in verse 14 to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. And these leaders, appointed by God, are continually accountable to God. They rule before the face of God. 
and one day they will have to give an answer for how well they did in ruling. Peter says you are to honor God by submitting to their rule. We honor God when we work alongside of, when we cooperate with our governing officials to promote righteousness and to punish immorality. We witness to the world when we do this. We stop up the mouths of the ignorant and foolish that Peter mentions here in verse 15. Those who are eager to accuse us as Christians of misconduct, those who are eager to, to disrespect the governing authorities in our land, we, we cover their mouths when we honor those in authority over us, when we submit to their rule respectfully, wherever that does not force us to directly disobey God's law. And when we do that, we adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ with good works, and He's glorified. And so we must submit for the sake of the Lord. But Peter gives one other reason for that submission. He says, perhaps somewhat ironically here, we must submit to our authorities because we are free, because we are free as Christians. Look what he says here in verse 16. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And one of the temptations that we face as followers of Jesus Christ, who is the, the one true Savior, who is the King of the universe, sometimes as Christians we believe that we no longer need to submit to earthly powers and authorities. And sometimes we as Christians fall into the, um, the problem of speaking in a very disrespectful and ill-mannered way about our leaders. We grumble, often continually, at their ordinances, at the, the gas prices and the, the high taxes and, and the speed limits that are set for us. But Peter's call to free living is not a call to, to be freewheeling in our relationship to our governing authorities. We are not free as Christians to pursue sin to gratify self. We are not free to promote disorder and anarchy in society. The freedom of forgiveness that we have, the new life with God in Christ that we have produces holiness, and that makes us servants of God in all areas of life, and that includes submission to our governments, to our governing authorities. And so, Peter concludes with several commands, several imperatives. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Give honor to whom honor is due. But notice that Peter does not say, honor God, fear the emperor, because God alone, though He appoints these temporary regents over our earthly lives, God alone is sovereign over all. God alone rules and judges all human governments, no matter how righteous, no matter how corrupt. And so the integrity, the faithfulness of our witness in society begins with the fear and the reverence of God. It begins with a trust, a wholehearted trust that His grace, His power is enough to enable us to walk with integrity before everybody with the respect, with the submission that brings Him glory. And so we are to submit 
for the Lord's sake to every human institution, to our governing authorities. But secondly, a bit more briefly, uh, Peter's focus narrows in a bit further, and he looks at the topic of submitting to employers, those over us in the, the workplace, so to speak. Look with me at verses 18 through 20. He addresses servants. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Here, Peter is addressing the attitudes of house slaves or house servants toward their masters. And we know from historical studies that, that first century uh, household masters could, in fact, be good. Uh, they could be gentle. They could be uh, relatively encouraging to their slaves, to their servants. That was one thing that was unique about Roman society. You could be a slave. You could be an indentured servant. And if you had good connections, if you had a good, good work ethic, you could actually gain some upward mobility. You could gain a higher status in society. But many masters were also unjust. Many of them were cruel to their servants, to their slaves. Well, most Christians, most of you here tonight, also work under the authority of your employer. And in most cases here in our country, we have a great deal of privacy, a great deal of freedom to take vacations and travel and rest. But even then, there are constraints upon what you can do. You are ruled by your authorities, and sometimes your employers are, are kind, and they're just, and they're, they're generous, but other times they're difficult. Sometimes your employers are unkind. Sometimes they, they lack generosity and kindness and understanding. Sometimes they're downright unethical in their behavior. For many in the church around the world, menial servitude, abject slavery, is still an everyday occurrence. But again, whatever our circumstance here, Peter sets forth this basic principle. He says Christians ought to submit to and respect every human institution or ruler, whether good or unjust. This does not mean, of course, that we can never uh, make our concerns known to your, our employers. It doesn't mean that you can't uh, try to work for positive change in the workplace. It doesn't mean that, that we can't try to rescue people from terrible working conditions, unethical working conditions. But it does mean this. It means that when we submit our opinions to our employers, we leave the decision-making respectfully to those who have authority over us. And this is important for us to remember. That respect for authority should not just take place when we're face-to-face -face with the boss man or the boss woman. But that, authority, that respect for authority should continue on during lunch breaks when we're chatting with our colleagues. It should continue at home when we come home to vent to the spouse. It should continue on social media as we post about our day. You see, as one commentator says, as Christians, we are called to a nobler life in Christ 
than our pagan neighbors. We're called to a noble life and a good test of true respect for those in authority over us by God's will is whether or not that respect disappears in the absence of those who rule over us. Now you say, well, good bosses, those are easy to respect. But what about the unjust? What about the unkind? What about those, those boorish employers that we just can't stand? Again, we are challenged to obey and to glorify God, not just when it's easy, but when it's hard, when there's suffering involved. We're challenged to obey and glorify God even by respecting employers whose characters are difficult to respect. Look what Peter says here in verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. I can't think of a more countercultural command. Uh, certainly, this is high on the list. But that's what our obedience should look like as those who are characterized by our new life in Jesus Christ. What pleases God. What glorifies Him most is when we suffer unjustly or are mistreated or don't deserve or don't get what we deserve in the workplace, and yet we still endure by His grace, and we continue to submit under that burden to those over us. There's no glory, Peter says. There's no blessing for those who suffer when they get the discipline they deserve, if you get your just desserts, there's no blessing there, no glory there. But there's great blessing for us when we cultivate patient endurance through unjust suffering. In fact, twice here in our passage, Peter calls that kind of submission, submission under suffering, a gracious thing, literally a divine gift. It's a divine gift of God. It's a beautiful testimony of God's power and His sufficiency and His grace in our lives when we, being mindful of God, endure an unjust master, an unjust employer. Today, of course, if we're unhappy with our working condition, we have the freedom, we have the blessing in our land to look for employment elsewhere. That was impossible. That was impossible for much of Peter's audience in his day. And yet, whether or not we can change our working conditions the permanent calling of God is this, do good to all and endure, persevere in doing good for God's glory even while suffering unjustly. But why and how should we do all that? How can we take up that, that attitude of patient, humble submission to those in authority over us? Verse 21 for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. When we in this, under this topic are so prone to look inward, to look at our own circumstances, Peter turns our attention to Jesus Christ. He says, look at Christ. He, unlike the rest of us, is truly righteous. He's truly just. He's the spotless lamb in whom there is no corruption whatsoever. And yet he not only suffered 
the agony and the judgment of hell for you and for me. But Scripture tells us He suffered His whole life long to give us a perfect example of living the way God desires. Look, look at verses 22 and 23. This is what our Lord Jesus did, setting us an example for us. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He didn't threaten, but He continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. Brothers and sisters, that's what we are called to. We are called to the same attitude while suffering at the hands of the unjust. We are called to give genuine and full respect and submission to those in authority over us, even if we are reviled in return. I don't know about you, but that's tremendously convicting. Tremendously convicting. Because not only do we fail to respect and submit to our rulers and employers, but we revile and speak evil of them. We don't entrust ourselves patiently to our Heavenly Father. We don't leave the judgment to Him, but we take the judgment upon ourselves in our own hands, and we do so in anger and in vindictiveness. But even as we acknowledge our sinful failure to obey God's will and be submissive, we are reminded that Christ is perfectly sufficient to save us from our sin, from that very sin which we commit against our authorities. We read in verse 24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see, brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ perfectly obeyed the law of God His entire life, and He did it for you. He did it for me. He also willingly took upon Himself the penalty, the punishment that our sins truly deserve, and He wiped out the penalty and the wrath of God against our lawlessness, against our failure to obey this command. It's that active and that passive obedience of Jesus that is accounted to you as you come to Him in faith and repentance. Peter quotes from Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant, for it is about Christ after all. And he says, by his wounds, you have been healed. You've been brought under the care of the shepherd, the overseer of your souls, and under his constant care. We are not only forgiven, but we are strengthened for a new life and of obedient submission to him and to those that he has appointed to rule us. And so I encourage you tonight, let your, let your gratitude to Christ, your great Savior for this great salvation, let your gratitude fuel your obedience to His commandments. Don't uh, view the call to obey and respect your earthly masters. Don't view that as an impossible burden in which you can find no joy. But pursue your workplace life, pursue your political life in the freedom that comes from knowing God and loving Him and loving your neighbor. 
And as you live out this new life in Christ, He's going to meet all of your needs. He is going to strengthen your trust in Him. And you will stand as a living witness of the gospel of Christ at work in this world. So may God strengthen us all for this wonderful calling. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are slow to obey all of your commandments, but, O Lord, when we are faced with the trial of having to submit to an unjust ruler, an unjust master, that is when we particularly struggle to leave the justice to you. We want to take the the judgment upon ourselves. We want to run from these situations, but, O Lord, we must remember that you have appointed these leaders to rule us, to maintain order and justice in society. And, Lord, you choose to use fallible human beings to do that temporarily until you come again to fully and finally establish your kingdom. So, Lord, help us to submit to our leaders, our rulers, for your sake, being mindful of you and your commandment, and in light of the joy of knowing that you are the true king of heaven and earth. Lord, forgive us where we have not done that. Forgive us, rather, where we have uh, evil, spoken evil of our, of our leaders and our rulers. We thank you for the example of Christ, but we thank you most of all for the forgiveness that we have through him of the sins that we have committed against our our leaders. Father, strengthen us to trust you, to put our full hope in you, to know that you will meet our needs, for you are sufficient for us in this life. Father, bless us in this new week as we go out into the world, as we um, serve as employers, as we submit to our employees, or as we Uh, serve as employees and submit to our employers. Father, strengthen us by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.